It's spring and you want to hike, bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com slash overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters, May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. Name your hot-button issue in Asheville, and it probably isn't difficult to build a bridge to the topic of tourism, which obviously itself is a flame of local debate. And when you talk tourism, it isn't long before the trail of conversation leads to the Buncombe County Tourism Development Authority. Our entire purpose is to shine a spotlight on this place, its people, and its experiences for the benefit of the community. I'm Matt Pikin, and this is The Overlook, a daily podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. My guest today is Vic Isley, president and CEO of the TDA. This is the first in a two-part conversation, so be sure to also catch tomorrow's episode for the second half. Today, we roll out Isley's own background in tourism marketing, the TDA's evolving priorities, and how Isley sees the TDA as a partner in diversifying Asheville economy. I push back on her definition of who encompasses Asheville's creative community, and Isley also addresses this question, can there be too much tourism in Asheville? Hey, Overlook audience, did you know that every month I produce more than 400 minutes of exclusive local content relevant to life in Asheville? The Overlook is a one-man band, well, along with the fantastic, generous guests I invite onto the show, but my point is I'm delivering something Asheville has never had before. If you value The Overlook, if it makes you a more informed and engaged citizen, consider joining my Patreon campaign. You can be a sustaining member for as little as five $5 a month. Your support would mean the world to me. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash the overlook podcast. I began my conversation with Vic Isley by asking what she was doing before moving to Asheville to take her position with the TDA. I've been in destination marketing most of my adult career. So I grew up here in North Carolina in Rockingham County on a tobacco farm down a dirt road and went to Chapel Hill. My first community marketing job was in Durham here in the state. 
and went from Durham to Tampa Bay in Florida, spent 13 years in Washington, D.C., and six and a half years most recently as the chief sales and marketing officer for the island of Bermuda, living in Manhattan. Wow. And then Asheville came calling. So you were working for the island of Bermuda in Manhattan. Yes. That's interesting. So tell me, when you arrived in Asheville and got a lay of the land, what struck you as unique to your experience? What were some of the paradigms here that you had not necessarily confronted or to the degree in your previous positions? Great question. Because I grew up in North Carolina in the middle of the state, the Piedmont, and I started my career in Durham in 1995, I've known everyone that's had whatever version of my role here in Asheville and Buncombe County since 1995. Many of your listeners probably know Marla Tambellini, who's been at the helm of marketing for Asheville for 29 years, and she and I met back in 1995. So I've followed and admired Asheville throughout my career, and I'd have to say that my journey in representing communities has had its own twists and turns, and each place has its own distinct character, and I love that, about capturing the essence of a place, its people, and its stories to be able to shine a spotlight on that for others to be able to enjoy for a bit when they come and visit. Now, I've only been here since 2017, and I didn't live anywhere in this area before here. And from the moment I arrived, I got the sense that tourism here, that we had a very conflicted relation. We, the city, the populace here had a conflicted relationship with tourism, that tourism in some ways rescued this city, at least downtown and the River Arts District from being unused and a lot of closed, a lot of boarded up shops and that that influx of money and the push to promote tourism really meant the lifeblood of this city, particularly from the 90s going forward. And yet I also hear from people, we're being overrun by tourists, that it's out of control, that the hotel boom is crushing us, that we're losing our downtown. I'm sure you're aware of every bit of complaints or criticism that comes to tourism writ large, not the TDA specifically, but just tourism. I'm wondering is what you hear from people here or just in the ether here, is that unique to your experience? Or does every community from at least your vantage, whether it was Bermuda, other places you worked, did they also have what I termed a conflicted relationship with tourism? Matt, that's a lot. So I'm going to try to break that down a little bit. So first, I I think it's important for your listeners and you to know why I do what I do. I did not know my job existed when I was in school at Chapel Hill. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I got a business degree with a concentration in marketing. And during that time, there was, in my Principles of Marketing textbook, one paragraph about place marketing. And today, there are entire university graduate programs about tourism and economic development. So we've come a long way. And through, through understanding places and telling their stories to shine a spotlight on them. One, I personally believe in the power of travel, what it does to expand our minds, our understanding, and our experiences, and finding people, places, and cultures through that. And also the economic vitality that comes to a community through that exchange. 
So it's that very human element of travel and what we get as rewards for that as humans, and then the economic vitality of that. So being a student of Asheville, watching it throughout my career, and then when Asheville came calling to have me come join the effort here, is that tourism and hospitality has been woven into the fabric of this community literally for hundreds of years. So it is not new news. And I think that is some of the magic of this place. I've been on a continuing education tour in my two and a half years in Asheville, and probably on over 500 listening sessions with people throughout the community, some natives, some newcomers, some here for 30 years. And one of the things that's fascinated me about those conversations and listening is that in my entire career in destination marketing and promotion, I've never heard so many humans use the word that they were drawn to a place. And I think that is magic. When you think about marketing or promotion, push marketing or pull marketing, like being able to draw people into a story or draw people to a place, that emotional connection that so many people I've encountered here have with this community and this place on earth is really special. You mentioned pull marketing, push marketing. Can you explain that a little bit before I follow up with a question about that? That's a bit of geek speak in marketing language. What I mean by that is that whether you read an article or something is pushed into your social feed, it's about where that message reaches you and what state you're in. When I think about place, though, and these conversations and that people have been kind enough to share with me, is that this place speaks to them. It could be sitting on a bench along the Wilma Dykeman Greenway, watching the French Broad go by. It could be on that trail. It could be listening to live music. I imagine that's something you lean on in your marketing. I share with our team all the time, our entire purpose is to shine a spotlight on this place, its people, and its experiences for the benefit of the community. And that means understanding the essence of place, having people be willing to share their stories here. Why did Orange Peel open here? Why does this downtown look like it does today? Why did George Vanderbilt get on a train and end up here in Western North Carolina and on? I saw something on the TDA website that I thought was really interesting. The vision statement that Asheville and Buncombe County will retain its unique, authentic, and environmental charm while welcoming global visitors. And that sentence struck me, and something you just spoke to leads me to ask about this. They seem like those could be opposite ends of a scale, that retaining the unique, authentic, environmental charm can happen lots of ways, but doing so while welcoming global visitors, I would think is a delicate balancing act. I hear from people, and I'm sure you hear from people, that we're losing our charm. We're losing authentic Asheville. And you said, you noted, that tourism goes back hundreds of years here. To your knowledge, was that a complaint also from back in the day, in the 18th and 19th centuries, were residents also worried about this area losing its charm? 
That's a fascinating question, and I'll have to send to you this paper that was shared with me when I first came to Asheville from Nate Pennington in the Buncombe County Planning Department. And it goes something like, we're worried we're losing our culture. There are far too many hotels. What will happen to downtown? And there are many others that you could think would be ripped from the headlines today. When did this paper date to, by the way? The 1920s. Okay. So literally 100 years ago. And that's where people who have been native to Asheville or Buncombe County say to me, Vic, we've been here. We know what this place was like before. We don't want to go back. And you mentioned a really important word that we talk about a lot on our team, which is balancing. And through these conversations and listening sessions with people who live here, love here, work and play here, is that in these conversations, I was picking up what in some cases felt at odds. And it happened over and over again to the point where I just started doing my own research because I I love digging deep. And what I discovered was this idea of paradoxical thinking or both and thinking. And in these conversations, what I came to discover is it was all about perspective. And I'll give you one example, but we literally have hundreds of these from listening to people here. But one was downtown someone who's been here since the 80s in the music business. And we were talking, and they said, it's just a pain in the ass to come downtown. I've lived here for 20 years. And two minutes before, that person had just shared why Asheville gets so many larger music acts than our size of city because all of their friends in the music industry love coming to Asheville. I was like, help me understand. He goes, it's easy for them to load in and out. They can walk all around downtown. They can just stroll into bars and restaurants. It's just really easy. And at the same time, someone who's in that business has their personal experience of living here and experiencing it. So that duality or paradox or polarity or balancing is in fact real. And both of those perspectives can be true at the same time. Yeah, it's not an either or. Exactly. And yet your organization is charged with promoting tourism. That is the key mandate of your organization. I'm wondering, being mindful of all that, having all these meetings with community members and hearing about that paradox, how do you wrestle with that duality When your mandate is promoting tourism, is there, and I came across this term, somebody tipped me to it, tourism capacity, and whether it's hotel development, whatnot, does that come into play? Do you, is there ever from a tourism minded vantage point when you're charged with promoting tourism, can, from your vantage and your organization's vantage, can there ever be too much tourism. So I think what you're referencing is carrying capacity. And in tourism lexicon, that really is more of an approach or a strategy versus a scientific measure. Okay. And carrying capacity is about points in time. So 
when we think about this, and specifically for Asheville, when I came in, it was December of 2020. There were a few souls in our office. Most people were still working remote. So I started my listening tour. Some was in Hollywood Square's land of Zoom. Some was walking on the banks of the river or having a coffee outside. And also being a study of strategic plans, which we all know this community likes plans, but studying what the strategic plan for Buncombe County was, what the strategic priorities for the city council had identified, what the chamber's Asheville 5x5 plan was, what UNC Asheville's strategic priorities were, Dogwood Health Trust, Community Foundation, United Way, is really building a map of those. Because what I think in the time that we are in right now is that we don't, as a community, have a collective definition of success. But what I do believe through studying those and listening is that we do have some common themes And so I aligned those themes and thinking if those were the priorities of these entities, and there are many more than those that I've mapped since then, but those are the ones I started with, is that if those are the common themes that this community values and is working to aspire to, then what is tourism's role within that? And that is where we crafted our four strategic imperatives that's been guiding our work in the last two and a half years. And those are delivering balanced recovery coming out of COVID and sustainable growth, encouraging safe and responsible travel, engaging and inviting more diverse audiences, and promoting and supporting Asheville's creative spirit. And for those that like acronyms, which all people in the industry do, is that spells DEEP. And thinking about how we approach going about the work of inviting people to this community for a bit to experience it and spend money in local businesses and help sustain local businesses and then go back home, but come back and visit soon, is thinking through those strategic imperatives or pillars, if you like, and going about doing the work in that way. And that balancing, which I loved that you started with, is that through this study of paradoxical thinking or both and thinking, I came across Dr. Wendy Smith out of Delaware University, and she's actually written a book on this. We had her come in and speak with our board. She spoke at our annual meeting to community partners about this idea of both, and that creates opportunities for commonality and thinking about what do we agree on and how do we move forward on that. Again, in my brief study of Asheville is that it feels like we can be very good at either-or conversations, which creates winners and losers. More after this. When you go to an Asheville City soccer club game, you're not just watching soccer, you're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues. The South Slope Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham. The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City soccer so great. Longtime player Laura Greb. 
We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field every game. They've got their drums. They've got their smoke. They've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles. Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. You mentioned something and when you were talking about the four pillars that you have developed and emphasized since you've come on board. One of them was about visitors and helping them enjoy and experience this area to the best they can and then going home. We have a lot of people moving here. I get the sense there's a lot of overlapping between tourism and people moving here, just this, the influx of people. Do you think tourism is playing a role in our increased population of people who are moving here? I would put that question back to you. In your experience, when you moved here in 2017, how did you learn about Asheville? I will tell you, I got a job here and people found that fascinating. I had never lived in a community ever before where you get asked the question, what brought you to name your city? You say, oh, I got a job. And they go, oh, where? Here's, oh, I got a job. You got a job? (laughs) I heard that. And I found that really funny, you know, that, wow, really? That's a response here. But I kept hearing that, that the, the general scarcity of good paying jobs is, that's a topic here. And so my experience was not typical of most people moving here. People move here for a lot of different reasons, but young people move here because they want to be in the mountains. They want to not go to college for a year and just hike for a year. There are retirees who get second homes here, but there aren't many people who, like me, percentage-wise, who have somebody hire them and bring them here. I don't have the data on that, but you and I have that in common, that we came for a specific role. That just takes me back to why it's fascinating that so many people are drawn to a place here. And again, thinking about those strategic imperatives is, yes, our job is economic development here. I, I call it transient economic development, which is that inviting people to come here for a vacation, people to come here for a conference, executive retreat, incentive trip, or special event. And in those that conference space, in that delivering balance and sustainable growth, we've teamed up with our partners at the Economic Development Commission as part of the chamber that they've identified as part of their Asheville 5x5 plan five business sectors that they would like to recruit here to our region. And those are outdoor products, life sciences, climate and environment, technology, and advanced manufacturing. And so we've proactively aligned our group sales team or business development team to go after conferences and executive retreats or incentive trips in those verticals so that we can be the front porch of traditional economic development. The businesses that we have here and outdoor products from from Eno, Advanced Manufacturing, that's New Belgium. There, There are so many examples of that. So if we can be good partners in helping diversify our economy, 
a diverse economy is a healthy economy, and we want to be good partners and stewards of that in those efforts. And that speaks beyond tourism. That speaks to a more permanent effect of what you're hoping to influence is in co- people moving here in those sectors. Absolutely. And businesses. That's what I meant. Like, not just people, but having businesses move here. You mentioned another facet, one of the f- pillars you mentioned, and maybe I'm getting the verb on this wrong, but enhancing our creative community. It seemed like there was a lot of room for interpretation on how to do that. And how is the TDA diving deep into that pillar? What are the things the TDA is doing specifically or wants to do or is visioning around the creative community that would support local homegrown artists? Great question and one that's very close to my heart personally. And the pillar that you're talking about is promoting and supporting Asheville's creative spirit. The P. The P (laughs) in deep. What that means underneath that is shining a spotlight on the creators and makers that have helped shape this distinct community. And that creativity comes in the form of visual arts, performing arts, advanced manufacturing. There are so many creative outlets here. Chefs are creative. Farmers are creative. And those kinds of connections and shining a spotlight on those and not just the same ones over and over again because there's lots of deep talent here in the creative community. When you say not just the same ones, can you be specific what you're talking about? Sure. That could be a deep dive. So let me see if I can be concise about that. For example, in the food scene, before there was the term farm to table, Marla Tambellini was working with ASAP and farmers and chef owners here in Asheville to create a storyline of Foodtopia. Back when ASAP 20 years ago did a survey, there were 19, I believe that's the right number, 19 farms that were serving or connected to restaurants here. The survey that ASAP did last year, there are over 200 farms that are connected to restaurants and chefs and owners who are supplying them. And that is a livelihood in a food chain that is sustaining farmers, working with chefs and restaurants, creating a food scene here that is rooted in place. And that is distinct. And that is part of what draws people here. On the other side, which in my listening sessions with the River Arts District Artists Association, or I happen to be a neighbor of an artist who owns a gallery downtown, when I ask them by show of hands, what percentage of their sales are from residents or visitors, the majority of their sales, 60%, 70%, some 80%, are from visitors to our community. So in fact, visitors are actually helping sustain that creative community here. So I believe that's a both-and situation. When you talked about your definition of creativity and who and what you're promoting, anybody in the fine arts might look at that. So if you're conflating what they do with what we do, that makes it even harder for us to make our case because the restaurant industry is thriving here comparatively to smaller galleries and performing arts centers. This theater that we're in right now, this 40-seat BB theater, that they would say, 
our restaurant and beer industries don't need any more help. They would look at what their experience is and said, we need the support. And I, so I'm just wondering if marrying all that up might water down the distinctiveness that performing and visual artists bring to this community. That's a tough one for me. I would look to people much smarter than me to answer that question. I would say just from a travel experience, from experiencing place, that it is a holistic experience that includes sustenance in food, but also sustenance in culture and arts, which I personally love. What I've heard from listening, once again, and working with Arts AVL and with our arts and cultural institutions, so talking more specifically about the venues, what we hear and what we're currently working on together in collaboration is that our arts institutions or cultural institutions, which have been inside, whose audiences tend to skew a bit older coming out of COVID have been challenged. And that's from just the way people buy single tickets versus season tickets, the competition with live music to other performing arts in our community. And so we're actually working on a pilot program this month in markets that matter where we have drive markets. We did a survey of all of our arts and cultural partners to get input from them about what their challenges are what they're working towards, who are their audiences, including local as well as out of town. And we're working on a social campaign to shine a spotlight on those arts institutions and experiences. And then we'll be a part of the town hall that Arts AVL is working on in August, where we're going to learn something through this test. And so we've got that campaign that we'll be running this month based on the survey data we got from our partners in the arts and cultural arena here and then we'll workshop that with them in August. And so I'm really excited about what we're going to learn and where we go from there. That's great to hear that you're doing that project. Something else that came to my attention is that at one point there was a tourism management and investment plan that was talked about. I guess, I don't know how far along the TDA got in that. Can you describe what this plan was and what the status of it is? Sure. Again, we're an industry of acronyms. So TMIP, let's call it that. It was really a, a collective effort to get input from the community, from stakeholders about what priorities were at the time, what were priority projects, what were important values or topics or themes. So there was research involved, there were workshops, charrettes, all pre-me, all, all before my time, but I, I did study it, and then covid and I think everyone in this community, country, and world can say priorities changed. And so that was shelved during that time in March of 2020, how right. soon we forget, yeah. or how long ago that seems. So March of 2020, that was shelved. And then there was emergency legislation that got passed in Raleigh right before the General Assembly shut down because of COVID to divert $5 million from the Tourism Product Development Fund to the Tourism Jobs Recovery Fund. And the TDA worked with Mountain BizWorks to administer that program, which was unheard of in this state or country, that a community actually diverted lodging tax dollars to 
uh, grant program that went to individual businesses. And nearly 400 businesses received that $5 million in grants to save jobs, to keep places open, like Rocky's Hot Chicken Shack, or Ginger's Revenge, or Soul 82 is a black-owned business. And that was taking place. And then I came in December of 20, still in the, in thick the, of it. In the throes of COVID, and started my listening tour. And priorities changed. And so that TMIP plan is a good reference, and it has lots of good research in terms of a point in time. And there are different priorities now. Our new First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. And please support the show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast. I'd like to thank my guest today, Vic Isley, President and CEO of the Tourism Development Authority of Buncombe County. Remember, this is just the first in a two-part episode, so be sure to tune in tomorrow for the second half of this conversation. Today's conversation happened inside the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which owners Susan and Giles Collard have been so gracious enough to open to me to record my interviews. Our theme music for the Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are available every Monday through Thursday morning. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook. Hey everyone, Matt Pikin here from The Overlook, and I'll get back to my conversation in just a moment. But I'm asking you, the listener, yes, you, listening this very moment, is The Overlook making a difference in your connection to Asheville? Do you know more about what makes this city tick and where we're struggling? If you had to give up one cup of coffee every month to do your part to keep this show going, would you step up? If you answered yes to any of that, and I really hope you did, Please join dozens of other listeners by supporting The Overlook with Matt Pikin through my Patreon campaign by giving just $5 a month. Give it higher levels and you'll earn free tickets to my live podcasting events. Your support means the world to me and helps keep this show free for anyone to hear. Go to patreon.com slash the overlook podcast.